Hey friends, we hope that this service blesses and inspires you. If you're interested in finding out any information about Olive Tree, um, our service times, our sites, life group signups, midweek connections, um, or where we serve in the city, if you want any of that kind of information, just head on over to our website. You can find it all really easily on there. We'll be going straight into a preach, and we hope that this blesses you as you listen today. Enjoy. When I was young, I wanted to be filthy rich. When I was seven, I wanted to be a Baywatch babe. When I was ten, I wanted to be a Power Ranger. I wanted to become a singer. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to become an astronaut. To become a successful sports marketer. To become Pocahontas. To become a package designer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. To be a computer programmer. A fireman. Be a secret agent. A backup dancer in musicals. Become a policeman. A doctor. Pilot. Become a pro freestyle motocrosser. Race car driver. Marine biologist. Dump truck driver. Ballerina. Famous musician. To run a successful business. A professional rugby. A manager. Professional rugby player. A mom. Graphic designer. Own my own chain of hotels. Work for the local church. Artist. The architect. But now that I'm older, I want to become a healer. Now, all I want is to become like Jesus. To become like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. Now all I want is to become like Jesus. Just so I know you're alive, my, my one-year-old, she's learned this thing where she goes like this, and then you go... Back to her. So come on, just stretch it out. You can do it. Yeah, you're still alive. It is good to be with you. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this series. We were going to do this series before the lockdown stuff and only 50 people upstairs, 50 thing. And we, we were going to do this series all on the creative arts and God above it all. And then they told us 50 people and we went, oh, no. So this week we changed the series. To something I'm deeply passionate about, I love talking about, um, and something I laugh a lot, more at people than with them, but I laugh a lot about, and we're going to be preaching about God's will for your life. And, and this is what you realize as you kind of look at God's will for your life, you realize that um, we all have a clear idea of what we want God's will for our lives to be. When you were... Young, I mean, I laughed very hard when Sarah said she wanted to be a Baywatch babe at seven. That was remarkable. Uh, we, we, when we were young, we wanted to be a person, generally. John T. Rhodes, remember that season? Some of you too young, some of you too old. Uh, Elon Musk, like we wanted to be a person. Then you get a little bit older, and you want to become something. Unsingle, financially secure. You, you want to have a... A, like a, a radical career. And then you get a little bit older and your, your hopes and dreams and desires change again and you want to um, give your kids certain things. And you, you want to, when you have empty nests, you want to travel the world. Some of us just want to be able to retire one day. Like we, we start to get these hopes and dreams. And what you realize somewhere down the line is that you have hopes and dreams for your life and it seems like God has hopes and dreams for your life. 
And it's sometimes a tussle. In fact, they, they did some research to see how happy Christians are. And they found that there's one group of Christians utterly submitted to God who are very happy. And there's another group who are quite happy. They are utterly rebellious. And then there's this group in between who try to be submitted to God, but mostly are rebellious and are deeply unhappy. And here's why. Because they're trying to live out God's will for their lives by doing their wills for their lives. And you know what happens when you dance with a gorilla? The gorilla leads. It's just where God is mighty and powerful and strong, and he has a dream for your life. And, and when you're trying to live your own dream for your life and not his dream for your life as a Christian, you chafe. And so I want to help people get into the box. So each of these weeks, we're going to be preaching about a different aspect of God's will for your life. And by the end of it, we will open up all these aspects. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying, I don't think I can stand here, but I'm praying that you will live in the box. I'm, I'm praying that you will be able to live by the promptings of the Holy Spirit within God's will for your life. So that's where we're going over the next six weeks. But um, there are some people here who doubt that God has a will for their lives. There are, there are people who are exploring faith. There are also other people who have botched it so badly that you firmly believe that God can no longer have a will for your life. And I want to just kind of start by, by saying God has a will for your life. Jesus believed it. The writers of Scripture believe it. There are at least seven times where the Bible literally says, this is God's will for your life. Literally in there. There are another three times when it talks about God's plan for his people. In Psalm 57 too, uh, it says this, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Perhaps the most popular scripture that is quoted by Christians and non-Christians. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. God has a plan for your life. It's littered throughout the Bible. The question is, what is it? The thing we struggle with is, what is your plan for my life? Now today, I want to give you this foundation. In fact, if everything in your life went wrong, if you married a narcissistic psychopath, or even worse, if you remain single, for the rest of your life. If, if you had, I mean, I'm just going a little extreme. If you had sociopaths for kids, you were in a deadbeat job and, uh, and you had to work for the rest of your life. You never had a home. I mean, we could just keep adding to this. If, if you had all of that external stuff go wrong, but you got this thing right, you would be an incredibly successful person. If you became like Jesus, God's ultimate purpose for your life, the thing that is kind of the foundation for everything else is becoming like Jesus. And I'm going to prove it from Scripture. In Romans 8, 28, it says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and... For those of you who can see this, say this with me. He chose them to be, 
to become like his son. He ch- he cho- you guys will. He chose them to become like his son. He chose you to become like his son. He chose me to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God's will for your life, his purpose, his dream, his hope is that you become like his son, which is really funny because you have no idea how many 20-somethings I speak to and they're asking this question, what is God's will for my life? And when they ask that question, I now know what they are asking. They're asking, who should I marry? Where should I live? And, uh, and they're, they're asking, what career should I pursue? And and here's why. Because their foundation, the thing that they believe exists on this line, is happiness. Happiness is the foundation. And so they ask the questions, which relationships are going to satisfy me? Which career is going to stimulate me? And which zip code is going to work for me? This is a question that most people are asking because the foundation is not becoming like Jesus, it's becoming happy. And unfortunately, the reason this is painful and funny is because so many times becoming like Jesus and being happy work against each other. Anyone notice that? If, if you want to get out of the chafe, make this the foundation for your life. Now, let me, now I'm going to prove to you why you need this to be the foundation of your life, if you're going to make a dent in the world, because God's plan for your life is that, that your life makes a dent in this world. Becoming like his son is absolutely vital for that. I'm going to read a text. It's from Luke chapter 6. It says this, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. That word withered, it means without fluid. That's a, that's a direct translation. Basically mummified. It was dead. It had no life in it. And then it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, because according to their traditions, it was illegal to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man did and it was restored whole as the other. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Now, in this text, we see why you need to become like Jesus, because we see the beauty of Christ. It says that there was a man with a withered hand. So Jesus comes in to do a teaching, and he notices a man with a withered hand. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is the God of compassion. And so if you want to find Jesus throughout the Bible, just go look for someone withered, a withered soul, a withered body, a withered mind, a withered child, a withered 
something, and Jesus is on that page. Everywhere he goes, the God of compassion is looking for the withered. He is utterly beautiful. He is always searching. In fact, most people think that you came to Jesus, that you mustered up the, the courage or the, the curiosity or the something to come to church. Let me tell you, you didn't. You got a realization that you're withered. That's why most of us here, hardly anybody comes to church on the top of their game. I'm just so happy I want to go to church now. I, I just, I don't meet people like that. We go, I just had breakup. I'm coming to church. Like this is the conversation that happens the whole time. I'm broke. I'm coming to church. Why? Because we're withered. And he's full of compassion. This withered man is probably kind of hiding at the back. And Jesus notices and Jesus goes after him like Jesus went after you and is probably going after you because he's just the God of compassion and he's full for your witheredness. But he's not just the God of compassion. He's also the God of conviction. See, when I was at boarding school, I was taught about nice Jesus. Anyone Meet nice Jesus, you know, halo, Jesus, blonde locks, nice Jesus, going about doing nice things. And then I became a pastor and I started reading the Bible and I realized he is not nice at all. In fact, good luck finding nice Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus is, is a lot of things, but he is not nice. And so, so you read through the Bible and you see Jesus making a whip. I don't know if you've ever read that text. I, I love that text. I think it's because there's a bit of a savage in me. But I, I think about it, that Jesus went away. So he sees what's going on in the temple. He goes away, and then he makes a whip. Do you know how long it takes to make a whip? And once he's made the whip, he comes in, tosses tables, and starts beating. Nice, Jesus. Yeah. No one was calling him nice on, this, on that day. This Jesus is the tattoo on his leg saying, King of Kings, this is the Jesus who holds a sword, who crushes evil like grapes underneath his feet. This is, this is not nice, Jesus. This is intolerant to anything that stands in the way of love, Jesus. Friends, we've lost this Jesus, but this Jesus is full up in the pages of Scripture. He is so convicted that there is nothing that's going to stop him from loving the withered man. And so compassion and conviction come together and they give birth to courage. You see, by Jesus doing this next thing, he sped up the journey to the cross. Because he says to the critics, who are powerful people, this is the client you don't want to lose. This is the, the person who can fund your business, who can introduce you to your next loved one, who can, this is, this is the crowd of influence. And he says to them, what's better to do, good or evil, to destroy life or give life? Here's what he's saying. What's better to do, be like I'm about to be or evil like you? Give life or destroy life. Now, now just 
listen to those words, destroy life. How are they destroying life? By doing nothing. He's going, when you do nothing, you destroy life. Just, we'll just leave that one there. And then he calls this withered man's forward, with the man with the withered hand. And he says to him, stretch out your hand. Now remember, it's dead. Stretch out your hand. And as he musters up what little faith he has, the hand gets restored like the other. And in one moment, you have a miracle, a creative miracle, and you have a condemnation in one moment. This is Jesus. Now, let me tell you why you need this. You need those attributes. If you, want to, if you want to make a dent in this world, you need to be like Jesus. Here's why. Because in verse 9, it says his critics. In verse 11, it says his enemies. And here's what I found out. If you want to do something for God, even if you start doing just one tiny little thing that makes an impact for the kingdom, here's what's going to happen. Life and Satan. Life will throw you loss, bankruptcy. Life will throw you bad business. Life will throw you a whole bunch of COVID. Life will throw you enough bad stuff for you not to want to wake up in the morning. Add Satan to that. Critics, gossipers, slanderers, people who want to see you hurt. You add spiritual warfare to that, and most of us are like, how do I get up in the morning? You have to have power on the inside that is greater than the power on the outside if you're going to make a dent in this world, which is why you have to become like Jesus, full of love and truth, full of conviction and compassion, because you've got to have the courage to face this world, because here's the thing, when you're 20 and you start doing something for Jesus, it's just easy. And then what begins to happen is you actually make an impact. And then you get married. Then you have those parasites and they steal your life. And then, and, then, and then as you're starting to make more and more of a difference, Satan wastes a little bit, he waits a little bit, and then he comes in and smashes you. And some of us have given up on making a difference in this world. And we've started to pursue happiness instead of becoming like Jesus, and so we have no compassion, we have no conviction, and so we're not useful, the Scripture says, to God. If you want to make a difference in this world, this has to be the foundation. You have to look at everything that goes wrong in your life and go, thank you, God, that it went so wrong that only you can make it right. Thank you, God, that it is such a mess that you must be using this to form me into your son. If that's the foundation, you can get up in the morning with joy in your heart because he is using this utter disaster that I can't even get my head around to make me stronger. When that's the foundation, you're ready to make a dent. You have to want to become like Jesus. Now let me tell you how you become like Jesus. See, it says that this man's hand was withered withered. I want to talk about being withered. If you think about what happens in this miracle, dried up, dead, 
And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Now, he has no ability to stretch out his hand. It's dead. So what does he do? By faith, he probably straightens his arm. It was a faith move. And as he straightens his arm, the miracle kicks in. And what was dead gets, this is called a creative miracle. It's when something dead becomes alive. He doesn't get rehab. Jesus, bring your hand, it hasn't got COVID. Jesus doesn't take his hand and start like stretching it out. Thanks, good hand. That, that thing, I think, was made for flattening things. Anyway, he, Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do rehab on it. Jesus doesn't restore his hand. He speaks to a dead hand, and he calls it to life. And by faith, by faith action, the man receives the grace that's required, and his hand is restored. Now, this is really important to you because you were withered, dead in your sins when Christ came. And in Ephesians 2.8, it says, and God saved you by his grace when you believed, withered one. And you can't take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. The word is poimeo. It's from where we get poem. It means that we are a fabric knitted together and it's masterful to God. This is what God's saying. But he's not saying your withered self is a masterpiece. See, psychology will tell you, just be kind to yourself. You're not that bad. What Jesus tells you is you are sinful, disgusting, worse than filthy rags, and you need me to do a masterpiece on your life to make you not into a healed person, to make you into an entirely new person. This is what the Bible says. Okay, if you're getting angry, it's the Bible. He doesn't want to rehab you. What's left of you is not good enough to rehab. So God's saying, I can't use that. I need a new being. If I'm going to, if I'm going to have something useful to me, I need a new creation. So created anew for good works. Now, are we all tracking? It's going to get worse. I was, uh, I was at a book launch yesterday. I have a friend. She is amazing. Her name is Gugu. So my mom's going to think this is a crime. My mom's in, in the front here. Um, she's going to think it's a crime because she, my mom believes that my English is a crime. Uh, and uh, she's an English teacher. And uh, anyway, Gugu asked me to help her with her book. So I, I tried to help, and, and then she went ahead and got an editor, which was wise of her. But anyway, she invites me to the book launch. And um, as I'm listening to who she's got there, because she's got the NEC, and she's got, like, uh, they were, the president wasn't there, but everyone else was. So, so I'm, I'm there listening to this crowd of people she influences, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the opposite of the curse. So let me, 
I'm going to go on a tangent, but it will help you understand who you're called to be. If you look at the curse, I know lots of people don't believe in the curse. The first curse is in Genesis 3. Over the woman, it says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Okay? You want to know what the worst expression of ruling over is? Gender-based violence. So, there's a curse. I'm just putting that there. She has a woman. She's just broken the life of that curse. But that curse is pretty active and effective in the world. Would we agree? Okay. Genesis 9, there's another curse. Noah has some sons. One of them messes up. His name is Canaan. Canaan moves through the Middle East into Africa. The curse over him is that he would be a slave to his brothers. When when basically the slave trade started, it started on the foundation of this curse. Well, you're supposed to serve your brothers. Okay. So the curse of slavery is still happening, but it definitely has got into Africa. Now let me show you why. If you look at Africa, the symptoms of the curse are there. Poverty, I mean, we could, we could go on and on and on about how Africa is in many ways cursed. Agreed? Following with me? There's a symptom, because the curse has power. What happens is if there's a symptom, there'll be fruit of the symptom. So we'll begin to see this starting to happen. And, and when people see the fruit of that, what they will begin to do is they'll start to believe that as Africans, we will forever be poor. We will forever. It'll get into your identity. And when it becomes, gets into your identity, then the curse just gets reinforced. Now, Google comes along, and she understands by faith that she is blessed She has a very, very strong faith. She understands that God has chosen her. He's blessed her. In fact, her whole book is about this. That she has a seed of the word of God inside of her. And it shapes her identity so much so that wherever she walks, she doesn't see color. She doesn't see good, bad. She just sees children of God and children not of God. And she wants to reach them. And she wants to build these ones up. She is just so full of the Spirit because she is not trying to live out of her flesh. She is living a new creation. And wherever she goes, there is fruit. And the symptom of her fruit is that she creates systemic blessing. Wherever she goes. Because she has understood this concept, that she is not trying to rehab the old, she is going to live out of the new. Now sometimes it's just better to use examples to us. So the other day I'm getting prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm saying, God please restore to me that fire I had when I was 21, before the kids sucked it dry and mortgages 
like landed on top of it and marriage was tricky and life happened. Because let's face it, life just like it does this to you. And, and so I was going, God, restore, put that passion and that fire back inside of me. And I heard him speak to me so crystal clear as I'm getting prayed for. I never took it away. It's in your spirit. Now, some of us, I, I meet people, they're going, I want to be on fire again. Your spirit's still on fire. The reason you're praying that is because back then, your spirit affected your flesh. This began to happen. And today, you're trying to live out of your flesh. And you're trying to get your flesh to affect your spirit. No, 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 no. It doesn't work. If you want to become like Jesus, you want to be effective in this world, you can't do it by your flesh. You have to do it by the Spirit. The way you do it is you go, man, I want to get more healthy. Any of you want to get more healthy? Because in level five, you ate the pantry. Like, okay. I want to get more healthy. And you go, God, help me. And the Holy Spirit will say to you, Ross, lockdown's about to happen. You don't have to go to the pantry to feed your emotions. In fact, you can fast and come to me and I will give you joy. See, the way the, the world teaches us, and because this works, it's difficult to break. The world teaches us, if you want to change, you change your habits. If you change your habits for long enough, your identity will change. And when your identity change, changes, you will be a different person. So the way it works is this. I change my habits. Instead of going to the pantry, I go to gym. I do that again and again and again until one day I wake up and when people see me, when I think about myself, I'm just the gym guy. Like, I'm like Tim. I can lift five chairs in one hand. I'm just like, I, I've become a new person. You know what that's called? Hard work. And this is how people are trying to change. Hard work. But it works. If you work hard at this, it'll work. But if you give up on the flesh and trust the spirit, and God says to you, don't go to the pantry, rather fast, it will work better and give you less gray hairs. If you will, let me tell you another story. I met a man who is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And um, when I was talk to, talking to him about how he made his money, because I thought to myself, this guy must be an utter genius. He has taken a few industries that you should not make money in, and he's made a lot of money. And he wasn't a tender opinion. So, so I asked him, how did you make money? He said, Ross, I studied the scriptures until I knew the God of provision. I didn't just know about him, I knew the God of provision. And then I prayed over my businesses, full of faith. And Russ, one thing after the next, after the next, after the next just started happening and the businesses started making money. See, you can make money by faith. And you can make money by hard work. If you get all the right skills and you do all the right things, you will make money. 
But because this is so drilled into us, it is so hard for us to believe Ephesians 2.8 that God wants to make a new creation out of you, set apart for new works. But if you don't start getting this thing into you, then what you're going to do is you're going to get to a stage in your life where God says to you, I want you to give this much money away. And you'll go, but God, my bank account is withered. Some of us have got withered bank accounts. And then you're going to go, I better go and work for the next 150 years to make sure that I can give away what God wants me to give away. And God's going to go, no, 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 no. I just want you to be dead and trust me. And you take a step in faith and watch how I unwither. This is called living by the Spirit. If you want to live in... God's will for your life, you have to desire to become like Jesus, and you have to allow Jesus to do the work so that you become like Jesus. Because God's desire for your life is not that you live highly successfully and bless a bunch of people. It's that you live by faith and give way beyond what you're capable of and make way more of a difference than you think you can. And that people will look at you and go, that Ross, I have no idea because he is one of the least impressive humans I've ever met. But flip, have you seen what he's done? God's wanting that from you. Now, church, over the next few weeks, we're going to keep opening up how you live by the Spirit. But you have to desire this. And you have to allow him to do this by faith. I want to pray for you. I would guess, before I pray for you, I would guess that in this room, because there were only 50 and you were like racing to get here, that this is Christians. I would also guess that there are some of you who are not utterly sure that you're born again. You've prayed a prayer, but there's something inside of you that goes like, whoa. I don't feel it. I don't know it. I don't, and I want to give you a chance to receive Christ properly because I want, I believe that withered will become new. And so I'm going to pray for two groups of people. I'm going to pray for anyone online or watching this right now. If you are not sure that you are born again, that Christ is actually working in your life, I'm going to ask you to be really brave and just stick up your hand and say, that's me. Please pray for me. Is anybody? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Now, Jesus, we bring our withered, sin-filled selves to your cross. God, and we, we say, we don't just want a better life. We don't want to be healed we want an explosion of creative work inside of our hearts so that we can declare, as the scriptures do, that I am a new creation. That you have created me anew unto good works. That I will know and feel that I am your poem 
your poemeo, that I am your masterpiece. God, I pray right now that you touch every person who declares that you are their salvation. I pray, God, that you'll transform right now in Jesus' name. And so, Holy Spirit, please confirm your word with signs and wonders in their lives and give them the miracle now of salvation that they can know it, not just know about it. Amen. Now there's another group of you. You, like me, have been spending your life working incredibly hard on your weaknesses. I have a deep weakness. It's a swear word that I use on taxi drivers when they cut me off. I use this word process. When he cuts me off, I pray, may he be subjected to processes for the rest of his life. May processes come upon him. And what I realized the other day is that I'm okay at making processes. I suck at obeying processes. I am horrible at managing processes. The only way that I can get through is kill me and allow someone else to manage even me in the process. The only way some of you are going to get out of the withered situation you're in right now is to kill your flesh and let the Holy Spirit lead you out of the mess. And you need to repent and give up. Friends, tithing, we spend lots of time on tithing. Tithing will be the most exhausting, painful thing in your life if it is done out of your flesh. But if it is done in faith, it will be the most life-giving, freeing aspect of your life. And so I want you to think right now, what is the thing that is causing me massive stress? What is the thing that I am working so hard to fix in my flesh? What is my process? And when you get that thing, you got it? Stick up your hand if you got it. Just making sure you're not asleep. Some of you. Now we repent. We go, Lord Jesus, I have put my faith in me and my willpower and my effort. And God, I want to be made new by your spirit. I want to be led by you and shaped by you. And so God, I'm going to choose to just stretch out my withered hand wherever you speak, whatever you put into my heart, I'm gonna step into in faith, God, and I'm asking that you make me new in that area of my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. May you have a happy day as you become more like Jesus today, and I hope that today is filled with life. Join us for coffee. Bye.